Episode 153 of the Green and Gold Rugby Podcast, or for tonight we might be calling it the uh, the Sky Blue and Sky Blue Rugby Podcast, because it's all about the Waratahs tonight. They are the 2015 Super Rugby Champions, and how fitting it is that we're surrounded by a Waratah supporters tonight, and across the globe, as per last week's preview, the review, it's only natural that we maintain the same, except for one little bit of red shoved in the middle, but um, we'll start with you in the Sydney. Matt, welcome aboard. Uh, why don't, uh, no, we'll get to your thoughts in a second, but welcome aboard. You're, you're loving life at the moment? New South Wales. <laughs> New. Sorry, guys. Yes, I think you've lost um, a fair few of our listeners there, though. Just to let you, you guys know, we, we're, we're going to talk Wallabies at one stage as well. <laughs> I, could, I, could hear New, I could hear Queensland kind of turning off. But, I, was, um, I was about to turn off. Yeah, no, good to be here, mate. Yeah, very good. What a weekend. Yep, sensational. We'll talk more about that in a second. Over in the States, you're back again, Jamie. How are you, mate? Jamie Miller? Good, very good, very happy, very happy supporter. That's good to hear. And uh, still over there in London, Hugh Cavill. Hugh, how are you, mate? How's uh, how's old London town treating you? Oh, it's it's much better now that the Waratahs have won. I'm jubilant. Still the champagne's flowing. I've haven't slept for four days. It's oh, it's just been it's been wild over here. Well, let's get into this, Hugh, and let's go straight to you, mate. Let's talk. We'll get talk about the game a bit in a second. Tell us about your match day experience. How did you spend the day, and what was it like? Well, uh, I just I've been in London for the past couple of weeks, so which is probably fortuitous because you have plenty of options on game day, and the timing works out okay. It was game kickoffs at about ten thirty, and we were, I was with some friends at a sports cafe bar thing where we walked in before they were really open and we were a bit bemused when we asked them to turn on the TV and put on a rugby game with two teams they'd never heard of before. And I think it even got worse from there as we started chanting and cheering and making fools of ourselves as, as the oh game wore on. And um, when the uh, final kick went over, it, it um, yeah, we went just absolutely ballistic and it was in quite a sort of popular little promenade and there was... A crowd of passers-by gathered to to watch us dance around like idiots, and we had to explain to them that that this was the Waratahs breaking the 19-year drought that uh, yeah that, that had plagued us for so long. And so I think they still thought we were weird, but uh, it, it was worth it. Totally worth it. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. What about yourself, Jamie? Over there, states bound. Yeah, I was watching on uh, on the satellite TV, watching on the couch uh, with my wife. And uh, kickoff time was at a very healthy 5.40 a.m. over here. Um, so I was stone-cold stone, stone cold sober for most of the match. Um, and I just got so animated and emotional. Like that second half, every single refereeing decision, it seemed like there was about a 10-minute spell where it all went against us and there was a lot of punching of the couch and punching of pillows and yelling and uh, general just acting like an idiot. Um, but when that final kick went over, uh, it just just all came together. It was a lovely moment. It was indeed. And now to Gags, who was there in the hearts of it, mate, down there in Sydney or, or Western Sydney, there, the, the centre of Sydney, geographic centre. 
What was yeah. it like, mate? Tell us. It was bloody cold, I'll tell you that. It was seven degrees in the stadium, which yeah, for right. Sydney is about as cold as it gets. Um, but it was awesome. It was just amazing. Um, it really was a sea of blue there. Um, was it 61,000? And you couldn't tell that there were any Kiwis. That's how good it was. Um, I was, we were stood, uh, just behind the goalposts of that, like literally row four, um, for when the, that, you know, behind that final folly kick. And I can tell you it was about a meter, if, if oh, a meter geez. over. It was that bloody close. It was unbelievable. And, um, yeah, just everyone went absolutely ape. Um, so no, it was great. I had my wife and my son there as well. And yeah, we just all went mental. It was good. So was that you said, go on, go on. Matt, were you, were you watching or could you could you not watch the kick? Oh, no, everyone was just, yeah, trans, transfixed, had to watch. I mean, just oh. couldn't believe it was going to go. I just thought, oh, this has got to be, oh, you know, it, it, it looked too far for his range. And he'd been, he, it's quite noticeable, especially when you watch him play, that he, he's got a real pop gun kick. Um, yeah. And, you know, there's never any force behind it. And just, oh, can this possibly? And it really did kind of kind of lob. It was in slow mo. It was, you know, there was those uh, moments in your life where it's slow motion. And I just, I, I just had this, you know, perfect vision of it dropping over. And we were also, uh, right, in the, we were slightly to, to the corner. And, uh, that was exactly where Adam Ashley Cooper went over for his second try as well. So, very um, nice. Sometimes those, I've got to say, if you're ever going to ANZ, the uh, bronze tickets you can get that are behind the goalpost, if you get it down low enough, I think they're some of the best seats in the house, actually. Cause, you know, everything else is so far away. Um, they're, they're not bad seats to have. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was just, yeah. What a night! It was it, it was fantastic. That's awesome. I will talk post game. I definitely go on. No, no, you go, Reg. All I was going to say is, you know, you weren't the only one who didn't think that kick was going to go over. I'm sure we'll talk more about the kickers, but I love mm. the story of Ashley Cooper, who who didn't think Foley was a chance and and chased his ass off, thinking that yeah, you know, it was going to go short or be a rebound at best. So um, <laughs> what a great result! Yeah, well, true. and then and then still got back to receive the kick off Ashley Cooper, which kind of just enshrines how incredible he played i mean that he chased his ass off for that kick and then got back in time to field the quick kick off too yeah yes exactly because yeah they, they played on all right I'll, I'll tell you about my experience on saturday night so i was down in new south wales as it was but it yeah. was i was in byron bay for a wedding so my sister-in-law's uh getting married and i was mc so there was not op- much opportunity to watch the game and I, I flicked the phone on um you know not too long into the game and and checked the score and saw it was 14 nil and, and shared the news around those around me. We were all pretty happy about that. And I didn't get a chance, busy things as these weddings are. And I don't think I checked again uh, until just after half time. And it must've been just after the Dolo scored and all of a sudden the Crusaders were in front. And I thought, oh God, this is their, at their clinical best. Um, and again, I didn't get much of a chance to check again until about what, you know, eight minutes to go, seven minutes to go when it all started to get very, very tight, and it was penalties, penalties shared. Um, and it was right in the middle of the, the bride's speech, and my focus was just on the phone, refresh, refresh, refresh. You know, then Slade got that late late penalty, and it was only a minute to go, and, and finally refreshed, and it was full-time, and, and the Tars were in front, and it was uh, it was a great experience to watch the match. And it wasn't until the next day I was got to watch it. But I couldn't believe how far that kick was at. I mean... I, I read that it was a far out, but when the penalty was awarded and I knew this was the 79th minute, I thought, this is just ridiculous. I, I still didn't think he'd get it, despite yeah. knowing the result. Well, there was, was great little bit of commentary there on the telly where they got to um, Mertens, who's his kicking coach. Yeah. 
And 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 Merton said that's on his range. So yeah, right. forty five minute forty five meters is his measured range. So they knew the ball was you know that was going to drop. Um, and I don't know if you watch the replay, you can see Foley desperately trying to kick the ball forward at the penalty mark. Oh, right. And then Jubins comes and knocks it back a couple of times. Because <laughs> Foley well, knew there's going to be the centimeters. I think the most uh, the most amazing thing is that your sister in law organised a wedding on the Super Rugby final night. I mean, what was she How thinking? Selfish. Oh, mate, you, I mean, know, the, the, you know, obviously organised it eight months ago before the draw came yeah. out and all that sort of stuff. Wow, and, that's the sort of planning that creates good marriages. Yeah, um, exactly. yeah, you know, I mean, the finals are played at the same time every year, Reg. I mean, you really, I mean, the schedule's not out, but you should have some awareness. She's that. really quite cute, uh, Hugh. She she saw the Reds line up. She wasn't confident. She, she's a <laughs> Exactly. She knew we would be involved. So yeah. <laughs> a few years, a few years back, uh, my mum managed to organise something for for her and my dad on uh, the day of a Bledisloe Cup yeah. Test match. This is maybe 15 years ago, and Dad decided that that was the year that he was going to buy her every year the SFS and SCG Trust organiser, which already <laughs> has the matches written into it, so that that could never happen again. Yeah, that was back in the day we used to win them as well, too. <laughs> I, I don't even know if – I don't even remember those times. They're just a blur. They're a vision, you know. <laughs> they are dusty. Well, let's look at the game itself. Jamie, let's start with your analytical skills. How did you read it, mate? Was it – Was it? you know, that was a great start by the Tars. You know, were you confident from the from the get-go? Yeah, I, I, it was a great start. They did everything right, and every time they actually stuck to their guns and – tried to play their patterns, and every time they even linked about five phases together, holes appeared, and they won because they kept doing that. They won because the Crusaders, when the going got tough, tried to kick it down to our end, and we ran it out. Um, and that's why it was such a beautiful victory. It won because the Tars did what they'd done all season long, and the better team won, and it feels like a pure victory. It, it was a great, it, it was a telling victory. These stats on the game are, are really quite remarkable in terms of the Tars had 67% possession mm. for the game. So That's outrageous. 64% in the first half, 71 in that second half they had possession. Territory was 70% over the entire game. Um, it's amazing the Crusaders, and it's I say amazing, but we know how good this Crusaders team. That, you know, it's incredible that the Crusaders made it a one-point game when you look at all those stats. They're clean, you know, the line breaks and defenders beaten. Um, it were the same, neck and neck with the Waratahs, despite having half as much possession. Um, but it was just that control play. The Waratahs had that ball and they weren't going to let it go. Matt, is that how you read those stats? Yeah, I think um, the Tars did play by far the you know, majority of the rugby. And even though the Crusaders to those stats only had like a third of the ball, they kicked the ball just as much as the Waratahs did. So, um, yeah, I mean, exactly, it, yeah. It, it was clear that the Tars, um, you know, made all that running. But it, it, I think a lot of those stats talk to, you know, how good the Crusaders were. Um, mm. I think they missed the same number of tackles um, as the Tars did, even though they had to make, you know, like almost twice as many. Um, yeah, exactly. I, yeah. I, I thought there were a couple of other things that popped out of the stats, actually. I know, I know we're, we're going to get onto players in a little bit, but, um, you know, the guy who missed the most tackles for the Crusaders, Richie McCaw. Yeah. Um, you don't see that too often. Um, and then the guy who everyone said, oh, he had a quiet night, he, he made the most runs, made the most offloads, and made the most run meters of any other Waratah, Israel Folau. 
Um, and everyone's there saying, oh, yeah, you know, there he was controlled. Um, you know, I think he still had a massive impact. I think we've just got used to him, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. But no, it, it, you know, as, as a match, it was, it, it you know, it, it was amazing. I actually think, um, a few people have kind of waved off the set piece problems, but I think that rocky piece in the middle and at the beginning of the second half had a lot to do with the set piece. There was those penalties we gave away, one on top of another, um, around the scrums, which, I mean, you know, to any, Anyone else's eyes, other than I don't know, Craig Joubert's, was quite clearly Wyatt Crockett boring in. I don't know how referees. I don't know how they can't see that when a loose head kicks no. his bum out of a scrum and goes straight across it, and then so, you know, and you can see Sakabi Kepu basically doing his best to keep that thing up. Um, I don't know how refs missed that, but they, both those penalties were for that. And I thought they were massive impacts on the game. You know, gave away you know the territory and the possession and everything else. So um, I thought that was the area actually where the Tars got rocky because they didn't have their hands on the ball. Um, and, but the thing that was really, really pleasing and live, it really felt like that as well, is they absolutely stuck to their game plan. Not for one second did they waver and did anyone even think about going into their shell. And I think that's what last year was all about, drumming that old way of thinking out of them. So they had no other choice. They only had one way to play. And when they did it, they were dangerous and it won. Yep. Hugh, what about yourself, mate? Was this um, uh, a game of uh, you know the, the smarter team winning as much as anything else? Um, maybe, yeah. Look, I've got, I've watched the game probably four times. We've lost you there for a second, guys. We're going to get them back. Uh, Jamie, what about yourself? Is there any moment that really stands out for you in that game? Yeah. Um, I mean, I totally agree with Matt about that particular scrum penalty. I think it's amazing how much that Sakopi Kepu has come on this season as a tight head prop. I mean, the difference between now and a year ago or even two years ago is his chalk and cheese, and I thought he just demolished Crockett in that scrum. I mean, he just splintered the scrum there, and to get called for the penalty was was pretty rough. Mm. Um, but but for me, the key moment was about a minute before the penalty happened, right at the end, um, when the War- Waratahs got the ball back from a Willie Hines kick, and they were going nowhere. They were basically just on the advantage line, and then Hooper decided to cart the ball up. He had Skelton outside him, which is always a, a useful decoy to have. And he just put on a little step and ran straight through McCaw. Just a mm. totally regulation tackle. And it reminded and he and he picked up fifteen yards, which meant he went from the the Waratah ten meter line into the Crusaders half, and suddenly the Crusaders were worried about committing penalties. And that was critical. Um but it reminded me that McCaw's missed a bunch of tackles this year. He'd missed one on Fekatoa earlier this year. He missed that awful tackle on Marlon Yard against the English in June um, that were just regulation tackles. I mean, he's he's not playing that well. Um, and that's 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 a good thing. That's, that's a great uh, thing. That, that makes me sleep better at night. That makes me feel better about the prospects of humanity. Um, I mean, there is no doubt that he is falling off a bit. You know, he's still a great player, but... Um, it's, you know, we always say it, it's rare to see him falling off tackles. Well, not this year. Not this year. It's been absolute, it's been a pattern almost. Yeah. And I mean, and they're tied to him, right? So they've committed. Yeah. They're going to, they're going to take him through to, to the World Cup. Can you imagine them dropping him before the World Cup? Yeah. Whether he's playing seven, whether he's playing seven, six or eight, they'll shoehorn him in somewhere and they got to keep playing him. Yeah. Definitely. Hugh, you're back online now, mate. Any key moment from this match that stood out for you, as a, whether it be a well, turning point or whatever? In terms of just things that won the game for the Waratahs, I want to pick up on something Jamie just said about Michael Hooper there. 
the forward ball running and the their cleanouts was I think what won the game. I mean, the amount of times you thought a forward would get the ball a little bit behind the advantage line, seemingly flat footed or not not steaming onto it, and would carry then two Crusaders over the advantage line or break a tackle or slip an offload away or or just generally get that forward momentum back. And then when just as when you thought that the Crusaders had a chance to pilfer, one Waratah's forward would come in and hit the ruck and clear all of them out. I think that was really where the game was won. Guys like Wycliffe Parlour, who just seemed to make the advantage on every time. Tatafu was great at it. Michael Hooper was stunning at it. You know, just that, that ability to make ground in contact. I mean, that's been the story of their season, but that, that was what really where it's turned around for them in the last few years because in those Foley days, you know, they'd get the ball two off the ruck, flat-footed, and just sort of put their head down, and half the time they'd be, you know, the best you could hope for was they make it back to the advantage line. But, um, yeah, I mean, the transformation in this, I mean, we talked about it last week with the strength and conditioning with Dave Dennis. I think that's been the huge difference. I mean, just their ability in contact to, to make ground has, has almost sort of won them the title this year, I think. Yeah, I mean, yep. yeah, no, just I was just going to build on that piece around the breakdown. When you're watching it live, you know, when you're watching it uh, on the TV, you've got your heart in your mouth. When you're watching it live, and you can, you know, you've got that, and especially we were low down, so you kind of had that kind of different spatial look at what's happening at the ruck. You just thought, oh my god, we're going to get turned over every second ruck, you know, because there was always, you know, a, sec- a jackal there for the for the Crusaders, and you just thought, there's almost no one there for the Tars. How is this going to work? <laughs> Um, and I think it comes down – you're right about the conditioning, but I just think the accuracy of their clean-out was amazing. Um, they really didn't miss, you know, and they really managed to take them out and with a whole different range of ways of, of you know, shaking someone off the ball. And, I mean, I, Nathan Gray's been getting a lot of raps, but I think, you know, deservedly so because that's sort of – I'm assuming that's his, his coaching um, that's doing that. And because, um, I mean, I think Jamie and I have both talked about in the past – you know, they, they're not putting a lot of men into the rucks, in the defensive rucks, the Tars. Um, and they're, you know, doing it at great pace beyond the advantage line. And so they're really exposed, yet the accuracy of their clean-out work with one man coming in is working. You know, one man comes through and then Phipps clears. Um, and that's, yeah, well, that's to your point, I think. Uh, it's just amazing. Exactly. Well, I remember when Checker just came in at the start of last season and an analyst who used to work for our site but now works for another one, um, basically put together a video saying that this was going to be the Tars Achilles heel under Checker's game plan, that they were spreading it so wide so quickly that they couldn't possibly hope to regather the ball at the ruck. Um, it would just be an inevitability that they'd, that they'd eventually uh, turn the ball over because they couldn't commit enough numbers to secure their own ball. And I think, I mean, it's, and that was true in, in most of last season, but obviously the fitness and strength is just so has completely overcome that problem. Yeah. That um, that work at the ruck there, Matt, do you reckon that's solely a, a Chica job? That's uh, looking through the coaches. I assume he's the man ultimately responsible for that that play there. Well, I don't know. I, I actually, I my assumption was that's Nathan Gray. Right, um, that's part of the de- defensive. I, I, yeah, yeah, right. I thought, and I don't know why I could have that completely wrong, but um, I thought that was uh, one of the key things he was working on. Because um, maybe why I think that is because we did an interview with Nathan when he just yeah, turned well, up, yep. and I think I remember him saying that that was going to be something he was really going to focus on was um, breakdown work. Um, so anyway, for some reason it stuck in my head that that was his department. I could have it wrong. Yep, fair enough. Well, look, I'll, we want to wrap this up, but I want to know. Uh, I guess we talked key moments. What are they, the key player? You know. 
there's been a few guys mentioned tonight in the, the Hooper by there, Jamie. Anyone else that stands out from that, that tar performance that uh, really, you know, stood up this one? Oh, it's, it's got to be Adam Ashley yeah. Cooper, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, I mean, on the big stage, in the big match, didn't put a foot wrong and then did a bunch of things that uh, were just top class. I mean, it really makes you appreciate everything that he does, even when he's playing in a very subpar team. I mean, I can remember the last time he made a mistake. It was that time he, he dropped that high ball against the All Blacks a couple of years ago. And, uh, which, which gave away an offside penalty and, and we drew that match. And that's the only time I can remember it. He just doesn't make a mistake. He's, he's both safe as houses and also can do special things. Um, I mean, he's just an absolute class act. He's a real footballer in the old sense. He's got all the skills and he allows the guys around him to play to their potential. I mean, he is essential to everything that the Tars are doing and he will be essential to everything. Fingers crossed uh, with the Wallabies with their triumphant season this year. He's and don't, don't forget the restarts. I mean, he took most of the restarts oh. for the Tars as well, um, you know, soaring high. I mean, w- the one thing I will say is, is you watch both of those um, both of those Ashley Cooper tries and, the you know, guess who was outside of him for both of it? And it was Falau. Yeah, right. Um, and, you know, and you, you can actually see, I think it's the first try when um, – when he bundles over and, uh, you know, he, he basically goes through Ryan Crotty, who is just left kind of dumbstruck because he's yeah. kind of like, oh, I can see, you know, Izzy's kind of looming there with only two or three metres to the try line. I'm going to look like an absolute effing idiot if he gets the ball. And you can see him go, oh, hang on, I've drifted too far. I've fucked it. And he just brain freezes, <laughs> absolutely brain freezes. And he's stuck. He's stuck about a metre too far forward and he's planted his feet completely the wrong way. And... And, and that's the beautiful thing about Ashley Cooper is as soon as he sniffs that, you know, he does that yeah. little inside jink in the fan and he's gone, right? What you give him those three – and he and you can see him kind of dummying the ball to say, go on, go on, take it, take it, take it. And um, oh, it's just absolutely brilliant. But, and, he, and he did that for both of those tries, right? And just used – you know, just Falau's very presence just makes defenders crap themselves because, you know, you know you're going to have to have two men to have any chance of stopping him. Um, and so anyway – it's the least convincing dummy in history as well, because you know that deep down yeah. Adam wants to run that ball. You know, he doesn't want to pass that yeah. ball. Yeah. But well, the thing about Crotty, yeah. that, that specific incident with Crotty is also informed by the fact that a minute or two earlier, Falau completely ran through Crotty uh, yeah. in, and just made him look like an idiot. And so I think obviously it played on his, that must have played on his mind. And, you know, he didn't want to miss him twice in a row. So obviously put himself in a position where he could make that tackle. And in the end, he, he, yeah, as you say, he completely screwed himself. Yeah. Anyone else, Hugh, from that team that stood out at that performance? I know yeah, I, a, I want to mention two, two, yeah. two players. Uh, first is uh, Kurtley Beal, yeah. who I thought was, was just, you know, Bob Dwyer uh, gave him a big rap and, and completely rightly. I mean, in that first try to Ashley Cooper, Kurtley Beal throws three superb passes at the perfect time that made that try. The first one to Foley, which was just a peach. That was incredible. And then the second one in the next, yeah, the next phase, the the one that uh, cut out Wycliffe Palu, or no, ended up with Wycliffe Palu, but cut out Stephen Hoyles. And had that pass gone to Hoyles, that they wouldn't have scored. McCaw had run up to try and cut cut off the play, and uh, the the cutout ball basically put Palu in a slight gap and kept that momentum going forward. And then his quick ball to Ashley Cooper at the end. He, he had a superb game and 
I don't know how he's going to make him. He's going to end up in the Wallaby starting team. I can't really see it happening. But it was one of the performances of the game. Um, and the second person I want to give a rap to is Tolu Latu, who has been the Waratahs bench hooker all season, but has barely played because Tatafu now is is miles above him in terms of class and experience. And I think it was a sort of everyone's nightmare that he got thrust into the game at half time, we were just after half time, and had to sink or swim with our line out and scrum that looked shaky at times. And he certainly had a, a, a bit of a shocker at one line out there in the 78th minute. But he, uh, all in all, he, he stood up. He, he made his tackles. He, he carted the ball up well and he didn't look out of place. And for a bloke that had barely played all season and has really limited experience, I thought that was a, a, a really, uh, a big performance in the context of the game. And he, uh, he gave away that really crucial professional foul right in front of the posts as well, which was, which was, <laughs> yeah, well, which was important. Well that, that, that foul needed to be made. They, the Crusaders had half the field with a huge overlap and he just flopped all over the ball. Um, good, he, you know, it's a good skill to have, I guess. Um, and what about you, Matt? Yeah. I think Matt's just ducked out. Oh, but, um, I agree with you. I mean, you could see at the end of the game as well how much Tolu, how much that game meant to him and his family. I mean, that was one of the more touching moments of those celebration shots, seeing, um, seeing him and his family. I mean, Reg, one thing I want to, I want to raise with you. Yep. It, it's really interesting looking at the game as a whole. And I mean, us Waratahs fans, we got into the Reds in 2011 as much as anyone else did in terms of Australian rugby and, you know, really got behind it. And the We Are Red, and I know Matt was there drinking from the cup and, but, Ultimately, I mean, I thought almost that was as good as it gets. But seeing your own team that you put that much, you know, the years and effort into, it it really is a completely different feeling. I mean, it's not just that success. It's that, you know, watching them celebrate at the end is almost overwhelming after everything you put in. I see on the forum a few guys have basically said they were were in tears at the end. And I've got to say I was was close as well because you could just see how much it meant to the players and then, by extension, how much that means to you. I mean... I kind of now almost know how how it must have felt in 2011. Oh, 100%. Sunset. That 2011 will go down as one of my fondest sporting memories, and I and I've you know been fortunate enough to see a lot across the world. But I think you're exactly right, and I and I'm, I love it from a Waratah perspective because they are a team that obviously has they have this great tradition, and you have to go you know all the way back to the you know the early. Um, uh, 20th century to, to see that all sort of blossom. Um, but they haven't won anything of late, you know, other than a few one-off trophies, uh, one-on-one trophies. So, you know, it, it's so deserved for the Waratah fans. And, you know, I remember when I lived in Sydney and when you go to the Waratah games, this was back, uh, I guess, the late 90s, back when they were pulling decent crowds again back then. And, you know, they have a fantastically loyal a supporter base that has been disenfranchised um, for many reasons over the last few years. So it was great to see um, such a big crowd there on Saturday night. And I, I think people have to remember back in 2011 as well that our crowds weren't spectacular until that tail end of that season. And, and you know, it wasn't as if we were selling out Suncorp Stadium um, until, you know, that tail end of the season. It was only really... I think we had the Crusaders towards the end of the season and then obviously the final that sold out, the, the semi-final sold out as well. So, you know, amazing experience. And I, I love seeing, 
yeah, regardless of who's competing, I love seeing the joy on those guys' faces because you know how much they're putting in. And this Tar team in particular, yeah, and you only have to listen to what you know what Chica says and how they prepared and how much effort. And I love that statement that he has that they had to be comfortable in being uncomfortable. Um, I, you know that that is what you do build a premiership on, and it was due reward. And I'm stoked that they're still you know still celebrating and so on. Um, I was keen to hear about from Matt as to how his celebrations were post match because back in 2011 they were epic. We we're all at the uh, official post match function, which was an amazing experience. I'm, I don't think that happened this time with the Waratahs, but um, it was uh, a fantastic final, and we're thrilled for the Waratah fans because it only means good things for Australian rugby as well. I think the other part about it was the game itself. A bit like the 2011 final, it, it lived up to all expectations. You know, not only did they get the big crowd in, but it just totally delivered as a spectacle. Uh, you know, it produced rugby at its best. You know, the end to end, both sides having a good shot, both sides running the ball, uh, a thrilling conclusion, a referee who largely stayed out of the way, you know, let both sides do their thing. Um, yeah, it, it just kind of, that was the, the icing on the cake. You know, if the Waratahs had won in front of that crowd, regardless, it would have been good. But, you know, in the back of your mind, you thought, you know, the eyes of the sporting public, especially on the Eastern Seaboard, are on this game. Let's, you know, make sure it's not some dire World Cup final kind of 9-6 game where both sides just want to, you know, basically trying not to lose. And, and it just lived up to all of that. So that, that that was the other sort of really pleasing aspect. 100%. It was a complete spectacle and, and deserving of, of the status that the game that it was. Jamie, from your yeah. perspective, how do you think it wraps up that 2014 season? Well, it was the two best teams in the final and the best team won. Um, I mean, a friend of mine commented that the... Uh, you know, that this wasn't as good as previous Crusaders teams. And you just had to look down the team sheet to see that that wasn't the case. I mean, that that Crusaders team was packed full of straight-up first-choice All Blacks, you know, Franks at tight head prop, Whitelock, uh, Crockett will be starting because Woodcock's crocked, Reed, McCaw, Carter, Ellis, well, not Ellis anymore, but Dag. I mean, fully half the team is an All Black team, and it was great to see them actually losing. It was great to see an Australian team beating them and making them stand off to the side at the, at the presentation ceremony the way Australian teams have had to do so much of the last six or seven or ten years. And um, that can only go well uh, moving forward into the into the winter season, um, into, the, into the Bledisloe Cup and into the Rugby Championship. But as for the competition as a whole, I was talking to a South African friend of mine yesterday and he basically said he couldn't care less about Super Rugby and that this was the last Super Rugby tournament that was ever going to have any relevance. Um, and obviously he's South African and so he's got his own perspective. And it's a really, I mean, it's a sad state of affairs what's going on over there. I mean, South Africa, the South African Rugby Union isn't even putting out a quality product at the moment. I mean, their teams finished 9th, 11th, 12th, 14th, and the Sharks. I mean, three of the bottom five mm. teams. That's not a good look. Um, and they're just, they're not even making any effort to retain their stars in the, in their super rugby product. I mean, they announced their rugby championship team this weekend and simultaneously announced that JP Peterson and, and Skulk Berger would both be given leave over the first two games to go link up with their Japanese clubs. Um, I mean, the rugby championship is the premier product of Sanzar. 
Um, I don't know where the South Africans think they're getting off, allowing two of their best players to go run around with their Mickey Mouse clubs at the Japanese level. And the Australians and New Zealanders should be upset about it. Um, and on the other hand, you've got these persistent rumours coming out of the ARU offices that the South Africans undersold the TV rights for Super Rugby and then oversold the TV rights to the Curry Cup. So they didn't have to share the Super Rugby right money yeah. with the Australians and New Zealanders and kept the difference for themselves. And that's just a pattern. I mean, if you think about the whole history of Sanzar, the Aussies and the New Zealanders have more often than not been on the same page. And the SARU, uh, you know, they're a basket case. And at the moment, I think they're both inept and deceitful. And in any other business, you'd want to get out of business with those guys, you know. Um, it's probably about time that they started looking at other options, I reckon. But I don't know what the sad thing is that the sad thing is they're locked in. I mean, we've, we're... 2016, it's going to be Japan or it's going to be Singapore, which is just going to, I think that's going to be the real, could be the time the competition jumps the shark because it's been threatening to with these expansion teams and it seems to be doing okay. But taking it into Argentina and into these parts of the world might just be a little bit of a stretch. I mean, this, yeah. the, that, you're right. The sad thing is how the South Africans have cooked their own goose with with their eligibility rules. I mean, if, if anyone needs any reason why Australia's sh should not change their current eligibility rules, you need to look at the South African conference because it's completely ruined their domestic rugby. I mean, they've got, their, their teams get kicked from pillar to post, um, every super rugby season now. We, you know, generally one of them will manage to stick their head up above the rest of them, but there's, they haven't threatened the comp in, in sort of, sort of three or four years now. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I mean, I'm a supporter of sabbaticals personally, but the current the current system that South Africa has is devastating the quality of the product they're putting out. I mean, I watched a Shark Stormers derby this season, and that was the most dire piece of crap I've ever watched in my life. I mean, two completely unimaginative teams, and they were the they were two of the stronger teams in the South African conference, you know, and. Um, so what I'm getting at is this is a victory that means a lot. I mean, the quality of the competition is very, very high, but the South Africans aren't pulling their weight and they should be kicked around a bit until they do, personally. Yeah, yeah. fascinating discussion and I, and I reckon it's something that we could probably delve in a little deeper in coming weeks, particularly as we start focusing on just the one match around. But, you know, the, the future of Super Rugby is something that's very important from Australian perspective. Obviously, the, the TV rights deals and... I know it's one of Bill Pulver's main uh, quarter points of his negotiation is the availability of stars. So if one of the parties isn't pulling their weight, it could impact yep. us very significantly. So very interesting there, Jamie. Look, guys, yeah. we want we'll to... Come, we'll come back to it at some stage during the year, I'm sure. Most definitely. We want to also review the season now. So we want to look at the uh, the Oz team of the season. So this is just the Aussies as per our want on this uh, podcast. We're going to go through position by position. Uh, Hugh, you're going to start us off, mate. We're going to start from the back. Give us who you think your your fullback and your wingers of the season are from an Australian perspective. Well, there's a few candidates, but I think the back three almost picks itself, or certainly two of the positions do, and that being Israel Folau at fullback and Henry Spate on the wing. I think they've clearly been the two standouts in the back three. Your third wing spot, uh, you'd say there's a little bit of competition. I'd say the main uh, debate would be whether you pick Nick Cummins or you pick... Rob Horn, I think they've been the other the, the next two sort of standout wingers of the competition. Um, 
I, I don't know. The, the, the Waratah fan in me, I think, will probably end up picking Rob Horn just because of the season that he's had in light of his whole career, which has been injury-prone, uh, confined to the centres. And when I heard he was playing wing at the start of the year, I was a little bit sceptical. I didn't think he had the speed or the agility to really cover that position, but it turns out he's been a revelation. And his performance on Saturday night was as good as any he'd put in all season. Um, his defence has been almost flawless and his uh, his running and his option-taking has been great on the wing. So I think that's probably... That's probably my back three, Falau, Horn, and Spade. Very nice. Yeah. yeah. I, I think Horn might. I mean, that left wing spot for the Wallabies is wide open at the moment, and <coughs> there might be something really tempting about having Horn in there. I mean, if you think back to the Bledisloe Cup match in Sydney last year, O'Connor played on the left wing and got burned time and time again in that first half, and that, and that was the game. And there might be something really tempting about having a guy like Horn who you know isn't going to make defensive errors. Um, I mean, it'd be a bit of a defensive call, but he might he might sneak in there. There's no obvious candidate. Tamani maybe, but he's not even starting for the Brumbies. So you never know. Yeah. Very interesting. It makes it a, a, a slow bark on, but we'll talk about the Wallaby squad in a second. Great tips there, um, uh, Hugh. I'm going to look at the centres now, and, and this is an interesting one. Uh, the, the outside centre, I think, from my perspective, is pretty clear-cut. And again, it's Waratah and Adam Ashley Cooper. Uh, I think, Jamie, you captured it so well before in that his, his mistake rate, as much as anything, uh, just stands him apart. Um, I'm a big fan of Tavita Kurandrani, who, who missed a lot of the start of the season uh, and has a great impact on a game, but can, can do so from both ends. Ashley Cooper, if you sort of charted his season, started the season, you know, very solidly and, 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 you know, above average, so to speak. But how he's finished it has been absolutely superb and he's just been a dominant member of that of that uh, Waratah success story. And it will be really interesting to see where he fits in that Wallaby team. And, again, we'll talk about that in a second. Inside centre was a tough one for me um, and it came down to two. It came down to Kurtley Beal and Matty Tamua. Um, for me, I've gone with Tamua only from a consistency perspective. I think Beal was outstanding in patches. Um, and particularly towards the end of the season. Uh, and and uh, as you mentioned earlier, Hugh, some of that passing in that final was delightful. That pass to Foley just blew me away. But Matty Tamua, his, his consistency all season, both in defence and attack, scored the tries. He ran that back line well, um, really standing out for me. And I think Matty Tamua is a, a fantastic player. Um, we're going to go to the halves now. Jamie, you're going to take us through the halves. Yeah, uh, well, 10 picks itself, um, Bernard Foley. Um, about a year ago, I remember writing a series of three articles on who should be the Wallaby 10, Tamua, Cooper and Foley. I went for Foley and had my head and more torn off on the forum, but um, he's just a class act. I mean, he's a guy who's getting noticeably better with every year. Um, he's a bit of a counterintuitive 10 because he's developing sort of from the outside in. You know, he has all the seven skills and... Only this year, really, has he developed all the core skills of a 10, but he's very promising. Um, I didn't think he was going to kick that kick on the weekend. I thought it was too far for him, um, and he proved me wrong. So Foley it is. And at nine, um, again, two candidates, but I'm actually going to go for Albie Mathewson. Uh, I know he's a Kiwi, but he's playing for the Australian franchise, and when he was on the field, the force looked like they might sneak a finals berth. When he wasn't, they didn't. Um, Phipps was very good in patches, but again, across the whole season, I'm going to go for Matthewson. 
great pick, mate. Because I, I I agree with you with Albie. I don't think I think he was, and it's hard to gauge this, but probably a, a, as critical a player as it was for the force this year. Perhaps um, leaving one player out there, captain there. But Matthewson was a, had a fantastic season. Gary, you've got to take us through the back row, mate. Yeah, well, mate, when you talk about the back row, I mean, obviously there was kind of like a whole shadow back row here, I think, which was the Forces back row. Um, had a fantastic season. So all of them were in contention. I think Ben McCalman was a completely different player this year. Um, played uh, really, really well. I thought Ben Moen got stronger towards the end of the year um, and showed his kind of captain and, and finals um, experience towards the end, there, which was great. But um, for me, yeah, the guy you got to go with, Cliffy Palu. Um, another guy who, I mean, we keep saying this about all these different players for Australian players, but, you know, I think he's had his best season yet. Um, managed to stay relatively injury free, which, which is another kind of first. Um, I think the final summed it all up, even when the guy in, so he got concussed fairly early on. And even in the time between him getting knocked out cold, um, and then going off for a concussion test, he was making yards and smashing people. Um, and, you know, it was probably seeing double, I would imagine, um, while that was happening. So, um, yeah, for me, you know, we're just one of those most valuable players. He's always had that ability to make yards and big hits, but he's kind of doubled that with a bit, with a bit of work rate this year. So he slots in at eight. Um, seven, well, look, you know, despite RJ's um, great arguments uh, in the comments on the blog, um, you know, Commend, you know, commendation to Hodjo. Um, great season that he's had in like a classic fetcher mould. Um, I think Michael Hooper has just blown it all away. Again, the final, you know, when you can, you know, um, I think he had one over. I mean, don't get me wrong. I think Todd had a great game actually. Um, made twenty odd tackles or something like that. But then, you know, Hooper just, you know, when he kind of uh, ran straight through Richie McCaw, just showed. I think he's evolving the seven role to yet another level. I think he's taken, well, not, not level, but like another style, mm. um, which is that kind of link play and, and everything else. And he, you know, and he's managing to take penalties out of the equation because he very rarely gets penalised. Refs seem to love him. Because he very um, rarely does a turnover, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> well, he does it in no, a different I way, know, mate. I know, you know, I know. Yeah. Are you RJ? Is that what you're I saying? love Mark, uh, Hooper. I think he's uh, yeah. a sensational player. Exactly. I mean, the amount of pressure he puts on the ball. Anyway, we all know the story. So he's he's in for seven, I think. Six. Oh, I had to wrestle with here. Um, so I thought Gus Cottrell, cruel um, injury. He was having a fantastic season. It was a great find, I thought, for the force. Um, Scotty Fardy, I don't know, is it second year syndrome? Um, he's still playing really, really well. It was crucial for the Brumbies, but I'm not quite sure he was where he was last year. But I mean, I think he's rightly so still holding onto the gold jersey. Um, and I'm going to go with a bit of a Jamie here, though. The guy I would choose, if, I, if it was me, it would be Jackpot. Um, Jackpot Gita, just what he has added. And I realise he plays as a bit of second row and he plays a bit of six. Um, but, you know, when he, you know, when he's playing, it just the the extra dimension he's brought to the Tars this year has been unbelievable. Um, so, and, and when you like watching live at the ground, he's just one of the people that everyone's watching. Uh, he's got some flaws in his game. He, he goes to ground too much. Um, he does a lot of flopping on people. He, he, he could generate a lot more penalties than he does. Um, but, you know, he gets in people's faces. He's, he's brilliant. So he would be my Aussie Super Rugby 6. Interesting. Hugh, does he, that change your lock selection, mate? It doesn't, actually. Um, I was going to imagine him as a sort of highly commended lock, but he wasn't going to be the one I'd pick. It, it's interesting, lock. There were, there were no huge standouts 
in the Super Rugby season across the entirety of the season. I mean, hmm. Luke Jones certainly had a, had a good first half of the season um, and probably just dropped off a little bit uh, after the test window. Um, uh, one of the guys who I will pick who's been consistent throughout was Rob Simmons. I think clearly the best line-out lock in Australia. And, I mean, that's one of your fundamentals of the job. And I think, I mean, I've certainly been critical of him in the past uh, in terms of his play around the field, but he's certainly been, I'd say, the best season he's, he's put in for the Queensland Reds. And in a lean year, was really one of the forwards that, that, that led them throughout the season. So he gets one spot. The second spot probably does have to go to a Waratah. Skelton certainly had his moments uh, coming off the bench. Jackpot was, again, a really solid player for them in short stints, but the guy I'm going to give it to is Kane Douglas, who really is the guy that's the flies under the radar in terms of those other two second runners that are the big crowd favourites, but Kane just does the basics well, and he's been the bedrock that the season's been built around, just you know doing those big clean-outs and those hard runs and those big hits when the time comes. His final series probably wasn't as good as he played all season, which is probably a little bit disappointing for him, but... I think over the course of the season, he was one of the two standout second runners, so he gets the second spot for me. Last week, uh, I've got the front row. Look, I'm going to start with Hooker, and I think this is fairly clear-cut as well. I think we've talked about him enough tonight. Well, not enough, but uh, Tatafu Pallada now has been... This has been his standout year. Um, his form... He's changed his game too, hasn't he? He's been uh, less of that really uh, high-impact, you know, torpedo-like tackles... Uh, just really solid, really effective play across the park. I think his line-out's improved. Um, there's still a, a bit of crooked happening, but you know it, it's no worse than anyone else uh, in Australia. Uh, the fact that he really had to step up for the Wallabies as well in those three tests as well is, is a real credit to his his form this year. And and he I get so much that because of all the minutes he played for New South Wales, you know that was a real benefit for us come that Wallaby time. If he was only playing 50 minutes of Super Rugby every test. Uh, every week, um, his challenge to start for the Wallabies would have been much heightened. So Tatafu's the man for me there. Uh, in props, in, interesting, tight head prop, it, it came down to two. So Benny Alexander, and I think we forget how well he started the season. He was in was in excellent form at the start of the season, but I really don't think he maintained it. I think he, he, he definitely sort of slipped towards the end there. The opposite is true to Sakopi Kepu, who, who started solidly, if not... Um, superbly, and I, he may have even spent a few games on the bench, I think, at the start of the season. But his form towards the back end, and it was almost so far back, it was the Wallaby series and beyond that really turned it around for him. Because wow. He was uh, exceptional, uh, and again, again, he was on on Saturday night. So Kepu's my man at three, um, and the red and me. I hope it's not just the red of me, but James Slippers, the loose head top prop. So many times this season, I'd be at the Reds games, shaking my head in frustration or disgust, or whatever it was, but sometimes it would just be amazement, at, amazement at, at what James Slipper was able to do. The, the guy, I remember back going to early State of Origin games, or those Origin games in the 80s when Alfie Lange used to get these cheers, he used to make four tackles in a row and the crowd would just be upon him. James Slipper was doing that this year for the Reds as a, as a uh, loose head prop, sometimes tight head prop. I just thought he was superb. He showed his ball skills a few times. He scored a couple of tries. Um... And I, I just don't think uh, that there was anyone else who played as well as him this year. Scotty Sio had a decent series. Pet Cowan probably had his best year um, from the force. But for me, it was James Slipper at uh, loose head prop. So that's your team. you got Izzy, Spite and Horn on the wings, AAC and Tamur in the centres, Foley and Matthewson, 
Palo Hooper, Jackpot in the back row, Simmons and Douglas uh, at lock, um, Kepu and Slipper with uh, TPN at hooker. That gives us, what, 10 Waratahs, two Brumbies, two Reds, and one Force and no Rebels. Fair, I think, probably from a Waratah perspective. Any guys, anyone we think missed out that deserved? I'll say Sam Carter. I thought Sam Carter from the Brumbies might have been a good shot at lock. But, um, yeah, I should have mentioned him. I forgot to mention him. There's, I also wanted to say Sam Wikes and Leon Power as well. But yeah. Had uh, pretty good seasons. Yeah, and, and to keep the, the force love is Matty Hodgson. I thought that was a game that you mentioned him absolutely, but I, I agree. You can't go past Michael Hooper from that position. Well, I think... I think the Rebels did uh, did probably get Rookie of the Year. Uh, Sean McMahon, how good is that guy going to be? Yeah, I mean, yeah, look, yeah. I mean, looking at him in the sevens competition at the Commonwealth Games, that guy has multi-purpose, big, bad, ball-running, contact junkie back rower written all over him. He is special. Yeah, I think Just special. he'll be one we see come on um, in the NRC, and I hope may well make play, although I know he's going to be playing with the sevens too, so that might restrict him, but uh, I'd like to think that he may get a shot in the end of season two, because I think, yeah, I agree, I think he's a special player. Um, well, that's our Wallaby Team of the Year, yeah, Super Rugby Australian Team of the Year, it's not Wallabies by any means, a couple of uh, foreigners in there, which are fully legitimate. Let's look at the Wallaby squad, guys. Uh, what do we think? We've obviously um, very much in uh, uh, you know, test match mode now. No real changes there. There has been some injuries. Peter Beetham's come in. Uh, Tolu Latu's come in. Uh, Scotty Sio's out, so Laurie Weeks is in. Anything uh, dramatic? Let's talk just quickly. Who's your, your key call? Does any of the form recently, does Kirtley Bill get a start? Does AAC move to outside centre? Hugh, any thoughts there? I think I think Link's going to go with the tried and tested. The one big selection debate is Phipps versus White. I think that's the one that uh, Nick Phipps has certainly <coughs> stepped up in the final series and does that big game experience get him over Nick White? I'd, I'd probably edge towards White still, but, geez, Phipps has got to be really knocking on the door. I think they'll keep Kurandrani at 13 just because there isn't much depth at winger and Ashley Cooper's really proved himself there. Um, and I think Bill stays a super sub in 22 and will come on with half an hour left and put some run in the legs uh, of our back line. So uh, I think, yeah, the, the team looks fairly settled, um, but uh, the halfback uh, spot is one that's probably really quite now contested. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, just to jump in there, it's a, it's quite a, I don't know, in, uh, unenviable position that Link kind of finds himself in there, isn't it? Because you've got a team that's achieved what the Waratahs have, which is not just, you know, having, you know, squeaked in and won a final. I mean, geez, they dominated everything um, in terms of stats. Um, so... You know, and, and have played an impressive, impressive game of rugby, but it's not the type of rugby Link wants to play. Mm. Um, and so, it, you know, it's it's a toughie. I mean, I, you would have thought it's there's a fair bit of pressure there to say, oh, hang on a minute, there's a bunch of guys who just went out and beat, you know, ostensibly the All Blacks, um, and um, you know, have their tails up and, and seem to be, you know, headed in the right direction. Um, you know, and then you're going to go back to a you know very different sort of setup and um, set of selections. So I don't know. There's a bit of pressure there, but I mean, I think knowing Link, he's not going to fold to it. He'll stick with the patterns that he thinks works for the Wallabies. Um, I thought there was a fantastic point made by Horco today in one of the articles talking about you know Sheck is very much one of those guys who plays one style. Um, and it, you know we always play that way, but we play it to such an extreme that you know it can take care of anybody. Um, versus Link, and I think what he showed in the French Test series was, look, we'll turn it on one test, 
we'll completely turn it off for the middle test and we'll turn it back on. Um, you know, and we'll, cause we'll try and play different types of game plans, which is what he did with the Reds. So, you know, very different viewpoints. Um, but it's not going to make Link a very popular guy when he has to turn it off. So it's going to be very interesting to see what happens. Yeah. I, I, I think the other really interesting selection point is where they go with the locks and the six and looking towards the line out. I mean, you think about all the different people who could be slotted into that lock position and, the good thing is I'm pretty comfortable with most of those combinations. If he wants to go back to Simmons and Horwell, I think that could work pretty well. If he wants to put Skelton in the starting lineup, I can see pluses there, Carter with his work rate. But how that works out and how who he picks is going to have a big bearing on the game. And I'd really like to see McKenzie take a gamble. I'd like to see him decide that, okay, well, we're going to take the bits of the Tars that we like. We like their speed of play and we love their physicality and try to merge those elements into the various styles that Matt's talking about. Um, I mean, it'd be a real shame if Skelton isn't in the 23 somewhere. I think he's really got to be there because he makes other teams, even super experienced teams, uh, fall off their game. He makes them think different things that they really shouldn't be thinking because he's a big bugger. Um, he's the mountain, he's the Hulk smash, and, and we need him. Um, I think he's a bit of an X-Factor player, and I really hope McKenzie goes for him instead of going for sort of a Simmons-Carter combination with Horwell on the bench. But it'll be interesting to see where that goes. Where do you guys reckon that's going to fall down? Yeah, I'm not too sure. I mean, I, I, I toss and turn on Skelton. Part of me thinks uh, he's not right for the All Blacks, but the other part of me thinks you do need that X-Factor um, in any game you play. Uh, it's it's actually good depth. Hall was playing the best he was. Simmons is at line-out general. I think he has to be there from that line-out perspective. And then it comes down to Sam Carter and Skelton uh, starting for me. Jeez, it's hard. And I, I'm probably with you. I think Skelton might be the man. Look what he did to Franks on the weekend. That was brilliant. If you go back yeah. to 2011, though, the last time a Super Rugby team won, that Wallabies team that beat the All Blacks in that year was... It was the Reds guys that did it. It was Samo, it was Cooper, it was Genny, it was Digby, it was Ant Fyanga, it was James Horwell, it was James Slipper. They were the guys that really did the hard yards and got us over the line. So I kind of hope that, that in selection, I mean, it's the Waratahs fan in me again, but maybe if there are a few, you know, trusting that team, the combinations that won the competition, uh, and you hope that gets that same reaction, that those guys full of confidence will hopefully push the team into to the next level. And so that's why maybe guys like Skelton deserve that, that little boost, just because they must be so much full of confidence and form at the moment. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. Winners keep winning. So I think that's a really important, and I think Ewan will do that well. Look, the other other one I'll mention is that hooking position with Tatafu out. It looks like either Nathan Charles or James Hansen will start uh, in that Bledisloe Cup. You would suggest Charles, given his uh, position in the test. Regardless, it's got to be one of theirs run on debut. They're both... Um, only have two and one test between them. So massive challenge for those guys coming into it. So the Bledisloe Cup is now only about a week and a half away. First match in Sydney. The Wallabies are currently doing their Bush to Bledisloe trip. I think they're off to uh, Orange or might be in Orange at the moment. So uh, then Bathurst and Penrith. So fantastic initiative by Link and the ARU there. Um, but very exciting that Waratahs, Sydney fans, you've got to see a great game out, uh, out west uh, on Saturday night, let's make sure you buy up tickets to get and support the Wallabies when they take on the uh, the All Blacks in a couple of weeks' time. Um, 
couple of things I just wanted to mention quickly is the Wallaroos, the World Rugby World Cup for the women started. We had a, a first round win over South Africa, 26-3. Fantastic performance by the girls there. They play Wales tonight in their next match, so we'll see how they perform in uh, in the early mornings. Um, yeah, and, and one of the South African girls got a, uh, a long suspension for eye gouging, so it's good to see the uh, South African rugby <laughs> traditions crossing gender lines there. It, it was their captain too, so uh, led by example. Oh, yeah, exactly. She's, show, she's showing the way for the other lasses. Yeah, I don't think her surname was Krieger, though, but um, it was... Botha? Uh, yeah, we've got a long list of them. Like, <laughs> um, look, a couple of other quick ones. Uh, Premier Rugby... Finals have started. I assume they have in Sydney. I know all you guys have just been focusing on the Waratahs. Up, up here in Queensland, we've plenty of other rugby to focus on. But um, <coughs> Jeeps beat, <coughs> excuse me, Jeeps beat Brothers in the first round of the finals last week to knock Brothers out, unfortunately. University defeated Sunnybank, so University is straight into the grand final. And um, and uh, Jeeps will be playing uh, uh, Sunnybank this weekend on Sunday afternoon at Ballymore. The winner of that will place Uni in the finals. So... Um, yep, all happening down in Sydney as well. Who's going? Anyone, any ideas what's happening in Sydney? Uh, yeah, so they've just had the first week of the finals. Uh, they've gone to a uh, six-team finals competition. Uh, I think that's, that's been going for the last few years. Uh, big winter manly over Randwick. Uh, Uni just got up over Warringah. And uh, South just got up over Eastwood in a high-scoring game. So we're down to our final four teams which is Manly, Eastwood, Sydney Uni and Souths. And those semi-finals are going to be played out this weekend. So make sure you get to either Manly Oval or Uni number 1 uh, this week where the two semis are going to be on because uh, they're definitely the four standout teams of the competition this year. So should be some great games. Good stuff. And finally, NRC, it's also also happened this week. A lot of these squads are now being named. I think they've all been named. They haven't been finalised as a few 40-man squads going around and I assume they'll be reduced. But the first game is... Thursday fortnight away. Um, so, you know, let's start getting excited. A lot of memberships out there. Some great prices from these memberships. Really affordable stuff. So, um, yeah, the organisers there should be commended on how they've, they've approached the ticketing for that because that should be one about inclusion there. Very interesting squads, but maybe that's something we'll talk about in another time. Um, anything else, Matt? Do you want to add anything else before we wrap up? No, all good, mate. Look, congratulations to the Waratahs. Congratulations to you guys and all Tar fans out there. Uh, fantastic memories, I've got no doubt. And let's start believing in 2105 now, I guess, is it? <laughs> yeah, well, we've got to have our raft of commemorative merchandise is going to be released soon. Also, I think it's worth congratulating the back office staff at, at the New South Wales Rugby and the Waratahs. They've copped a lot of shit on our forums over the years for you know people thinking they're incompetent, and some of them probably are, but a lot of them aren't. And I think... Um, the way that that team's been going in the last two years and the changes that have been made uh, in terms of bringing in coaches and bringing in specialist staff uh, have played out on the field perfectly. So Jason Allen, the CEO, and all of the staff there, I think, deserve the same plaudits that we gave to Jim Carmichael and the QRU uh, a few years ago. So well done to those guys and hope they can keep it going. Mm. Yeah, and if there are any promising or uh, representative players out there listening, um, you know, you want to be in a Martin Place celebration, stay in Australian rugby, stay connected to the fans. You don't want to go off to Europe, win a championship, come home, and your family doesn't even know the name of the team you're playing for. So what the Waratahs are involved in, that's why you want to stay in Australia. So do it. Love it, Jamie. Good stuff. All right. Sorry, Matt, just one final little story. Um, Dinner tonight. So my... 
10-year-old uh, son. Um, sort of, I don't know how he, I can't even remember how it came up, but he said, basically, Dad, anything that Michael Checker says is right. <laughs> um, and, uh, and he said, like, to the point, he said, he said like, um, even over teachers. <laughs> so there you go. Michael Checker could just walk in and teach anything he wants. He can um, do no wrong. He can do no wrong. Excellent. All right, guys. Look, thanks for joining us tonight. Guys, uh, let's focus on that now. One team, get behind the Wallabies. No matter what uh, jersey these guys wore during the season, it's going to be a fantastic season. Australian rugby is set up well and truly for a great season ahead. JB, Hugh, thanks for uh, joining us from your respective quarters of the globe. Cheers, guys. Matt, we'll see you soon. Cheers. Yeah, guys. Thanks, everyone. Yeah, right there, right there.